All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hey there. We at Blue Wire just wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this podcast. We know everything outside is pretty scary and uncertain, but we're committed to helping you get through your day by talking about the sports and teams that you love most. If you're looking for more great podcasts to distract you, check out BlueWirePods.com. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the podcast and stay safe. This is a Web Canopy Studio production. Welcome, everybody, to Dropping the Gloves. Big, big episode tonight or today or this morning, whenever you're listening. We have the man who, for some reason, is known as the sheriff, I believe. is I, I might be wrong, but I think we called him the sheriff. It's Shane Knighty joining the program. Shane, how are you, my friend? I am fantastic. It's uh, happy to finally get the invite. Uh, you know, I figured it'd be a very a four- select list. It's a select know, well, list that hey, gets to join. How many D partners did you have in your career? I, I have oh. to be, I'm on that list. Like, it's come a, on now. It's a long, it's not a, I only played D for four years in the show and you were one I of know. my partners. So yeah. Yes. So, you're the first D partner no, on the man. show. Well, good. So you're, we were just catching yeah. up before we came on. You're in Vegas, relaxing. You have a kid graduating high school tomorrow, you said? Uh, Friday. Yeah, well, Friday. whatever that is, whatever this place, so the, the well, whatever that is, it's coming up three days away. Wow, that's incredible. That's incredible. And is your, was your nickname the Sheriff when you played? It was. Uh, I got that nickname my first year in Ottawa, and I've told this story a few times. Maybe you haven't heard it. Um, so that year was, was 2000 with the Ottawa Senators. And the year before, Alexi Yashin sat out. You recall, everybody recalls that. But back yeah. then, like now we're used to guys sitting out for contract disputes. Back then, that, the guys, that PO'd everyone. The, the players thought that's unacceptable. But he was on our, so he came back the year I was with Ottawa. And we were playing the Florida Panthers. And, you know, every, back then, you know, Peter Worrell and Todd Simpson. Anyways, throughout the game somewhere, Yashin got chased around a lot. Actually, when I made that team, I chased him around slashing, hacking, whacking every time I could in the exhibition, like when he played against one another in a team, like the exhibition games to get noticed because I was trying to 
yeah. you know, get to the team any way I could. So, but then we become teammates and it was a regular season in Worrell and Simpson jumped him in the corner. Night kind of came flying in and I jumped into the pile and ended up, you know, scrapping a little with both these guys. And in the paper the next day, and it, you know, I have no choice. I'm a rookie. I had Sheriff Shane Nighy to the rescue for Yashin. Donnie Brennan wrote it. Him and Jason York. York said he gave him the name, but whatever it was, that's that's what happened, and it stuck. It stuck, uh, you know, stuck some places more than others. Uh, I didn't really have it when I was with Atlanta, but then uh, you know, Jack Edwards in Boston got hold of it, and that uh, it really took off there. Oh, I'm sure he just took off with it. That guy. He's he's the biggest hack in hockey, Jack Edwards. And I'll be well, the, I'll be the millionth guy to say it. <laughs> <laughs> the only reason I liked it is because I never lost a fight when I was in Boston. Exactly. I worked it, Sean Thornton, exactly but apparently Sean beat me up. Yeah. He just, that guy, he hated me. Absolutely despised me. So I'm sure if he was my announcer, I would have loved him. Jeez, so John, I wonder him? why he hated you. Because I always worked yeah. the Bruins. Hey, was uh, McGratton on your team when you were with Ottawa at some point? Did he come in and kind of help you out or no? He kind of came. No, no. He was he was a young guy when I was already there. So he came after me. I was already uh, – I was there, yeah, 2000 to 04. And by the time he – like, he was around for, like, camps. But, no, our guys were well, – first of all, there was nobody. Was myself and Andre Waugh. That was about it for guys that really dropped the gloves. And then we traded. We had – and Chara came in. And then Chris Neal came in. Um, but we didn't have many. That's it was some it tough goes in the old battle of Ontario against the, you know, the Domies, the Corsons, the Roberts, the Belaks, the yeah, a lot of fun. So when you came in, how would you describe your game? Because like to, for those guys who don't know you, what what was Shane Knighty's typical game? Well, I had to be responsible defensively. I, I think you know there, I was never great at one thing. I, you know, probably the greatest thing I had was I could think the game. I understood the game really well positionally. I always had, you know, uh, in my mind, I could work the angles. I didn't have the best foot speed. That was, you know, I was strong enough. Back then I was considered a good side defenseman at 6'2", 210. Um, But I, you know, I combined all those I think my strongest side is competitive. Like I I was driven. I wasn't going to be let down. I'd do whatever it takes. So I knew, you know, I'd always scrap, you know, coming up in the minor my biggest year probably fighting was in the ihl when i was 22 back when you know i had to go angle mel angelstad and phil crow and all these guys would you know you did whatever you could and then when i got to ottawa they didn't really have that element so i had to combine i you know i knew in my mind okay i got to do whatever's needed i still got to play well because jacques martin's team martin's teams aren't you know goon squads but he wants somebody that will step up and uh, I was able to come in and, and, and play well. And, uh, you know, of course, opportunity. There's a guy named Ricard Pearson who I, broke his ankle, I believe, in preseason. And that kind of got me in. He came back right before Halloween. I got sent down to Grand Rapids. He came back healthy, broke the same ankle two inches higher in his first game back. I got recalled three days later, and I never went down again. So, uh, you know, little bit of luck and someone's other else's misfortune to uh, help me. That's all. It always is that situation where you just get like that opportunity and you either sink or swim. And you really only have a few game audition where it's like, okay, does this guy have it or he doesn't? So you mentioned Chara. Did you play with him? Like, was he your D partner in Ottawa while you guys were there? 
I didn't play with him much in Ottawa, but, you know, maybe a couple games, but I did play again with him in Boston. So, uh, yeah, I played with Char a lot of years and uh, to to watch, you know, what he was then. And, you know, I've always tried to describe him, and it, it's not easy. I, I, he had a discipline to be the best that was unmatched. Like his, his you know, willingness. Not Not everybody has that in them to sit out there you know, shoot a hundred pucks a game. Not everybody has it in them to, you know, sit on the plane and not watch and get your financial degree while everybody's playing cards and having fun or going out for, you know, a beer and steak when you get in and he's studying. Like he has a discipline about him uh, to make him, and it's made him, you know, it's going to be a Hall of Fame defenseman that has no quit. Uh, and then, then you want to talk about a guy who's physically fit. It's just another level. So, and he always finds angles to improve himself. He, he, he's, uh, yeah, and you could see that early on. You could see that determination he had was uh, off the charts. And who was, who was your favorite D partner when you were in Boston besides Jara? In Boston? I played with Mark Stewart uh, when first got there. I like playing with Stewie. Uh, it's interesting because, you know, nowadays we see these pairs that stick together more. Back then, it wasn't like I'll play with anyone. And I think a lot of guys felt like that outside, maybe your top two, you could, you could move up and down the lineup. Uh, Andrew Ferentz and I played together for a bit. Uh, so I enjoyed him. I played with Caberlet when, uh, when I came back for the year they won the cup. Um, I played with, yeah, I played with Char a couple of playoffs when some guys got hurt. That was, so, you know, he kind of moved up and down where, wherever they needed me to play, I would play. Yeah, it is funny how guys, they're so stuck with playing a certain guy and they just kind of, like when I was in Chicago, Duncan and Brent had to play with each other. Like no one else yeah. could even jump in on a, on a practice shift with them in the warm-ups. <laughs> it was like, Seabzy and Dunks are going together. Like that's it. And then after like eight years, they split them up. And it was like front page news. Like it was a big deal. Like <gasps> they're splitting them up. What are we going to do? And it's just <laughs> – it's so funny. Yeah, back in the day, you used to just go up and down the lineup, no problem. Like penalty kill, power play, you just interchange. No, no, I'm, not a big deal. I just want to play. Well, and the other thing that, you know, now I hear, and it, it, to me, I, I, and I get people are trying to get, well, you got to right and a left. You got to play right. Oh, can he play his off? He's in the NHL. If he can't play his offside, like, come on. It, it doesn't matter. Sure, there's some advantages and guys are more comfortable, but the willingness to adapt should be there. I, and John, you remember in Minnesota, I don't know if you remember this, Zidlicki was there. Uh, was he, they, he was, he was in Minnesota, right? Yeah, oh yeah. One of the most talented yeah, guys they, I've ever played with. Talented. Exactly. So most talented, I remember uh, Coach Todd Richards came and said, said, uh, you know, Zid, between, I was playing with, would one of you guys mind playing the offside? He said, no. So who, I'm like, I'll play the offside. Like, out of the two of us that should adapt to it quicker, I would think it would be him with a, a level of skill above mine. But, uh, yeah, and, and you know what? I actually enjoyed it. It was one of the few times in my career because, you know, left-handed D seemed to dominate, um, you know, not many right-handed shots. So it was interesting at that time. But I was like, hey, I'll play. If I can do it, anybody should. There's advantages of playing the offside. The only, the only tough part is going D to D. But if you have a partner who can give you the puck on your tape, you can see the ice so much better on the offside because you're always facing up ice. You're never kind of caught out yeah. of position. And I, 
I enjoyed it until that my partner would throw it on my backhand. And I was like, I'm going to get just train wrecked here. And it happened a few times, but it, it does. Like if you can handle it, there's so many more advantages of playing on your offside, like in the zone, like stuff like that. It is, it helps out quite a bit, but my backhand was a disaster. So I, anytime someone gave me that, it was like a grenade going off, but that's just between you and me. I'd like to know who train wrecked you. Who, who, I don't recall that. <laughs> oh, it was in, um, oh, where was it? It was in the Islanders. And I think Clutterbuck caught me blindside where oh. I was, and he just kind of clipped my shoulder. I, I didn't even see him or it was him or Komarov, one of the two, one of those little, little guys. But yeah, yeah it wasn't like a train wreck, but I, I still remember it. I remember in Minnesota, do you remember Marc-Andre Bergeron got lit up yes. in a uh, preseason? Oh, he was playing the offside, just got buried. Then he fought the guy and then the guy yeah. just beat his doors off. I was like, Marc-Andre, <laughs> bad idea. <laughs> Save that for That's me, the worst, man. trying to stick up for yourself and it just turns even worse. Yeah, that's all right. He I've been there. Broke his face. Good for you. Good for you, Marc-Andre Bergeron. <laughs> yeah. Hit the showers. All right, Tim, you want to go into the Bruins yet or no? You want well, to just delve into it? We kind of started. Uh, Shane, I want to ask you about – All right, get ready, the, Shane. Here it comes. The infamous uh, – the game with the Dallas Stars with Avery and Ott. You know the game I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, I know the game. <laughs> I mean, I remember watching that live. It's probably the – maybe outside of playoffs, the best regular season game I've ever watched uh, on TV. It while was. Um, I, I remember that game very vividly, actually. Oh, yeah. So can you tell me a little bit about, like, at what point did you guys realize this game was going to get out of hand? I mean, I don't know what Otts and Avery's mentality was going into it, but they were throwing cheap shots left and right, low hits, lay hits, hits from behind. And I know you tried to go with Ott early in the game. He wouldn't go with you, uh, but eventually some brawls broke out. Tell us a little bit of what you remember. Well, I remember remember, uh, Thornton and Barch went at it. Thornton got the best of Barch. There was a bunch of fights, and we were kind of bringing back the big, bad Bruins team. We were. We were that type of team. Uh, we had guys that were willing, and we could win different ways. And it was kind of, you know, it was kind of the core group that started towards that cup team. Uh, and I, yeah, I remember the game, like, Medano was still there. Turkey, like, some great guys. And, uh, and I like Steve. Sean Avery, they, you know, they were running around. And eventually, I believe, Avery got kicked out. I think he fought Ferentz. Uh, yep. And... And, you know, I tried to fight Ott once or twice. Somebody else did. And then Avery got kicked out when he hit Lucic from behind on the wall, I believe, in our own end. And then Savard, everybody came in. And, I, and you know, sometimes you just lose it. That was one of the times I probably lost the most. And I, I felt bad. Like, Matt Niskanen was a young, skilled player in the league. And I just – whoever was coming into that pile, there, there was no thought to it. it. It was one thing only and – I just, yeah, you just unleash, but it was, it had been building up all game. And uh, I just remember after the game too, both Medano and Turk were so mad, like embarrassed. You know, these guys stirred it all up and then they got all kicked out. So, um, but that, you know, there was a lot of games like that. You played in, I mentioned earlier, the battle of Ontario's with Toronto on the benches and uh, with Tucker and those guys. And, you know, I miss that. I miss it. We're not going to see it again, but it, it was fun. And that game against Dallas, Tim, I'll tell you, that was uh, that was one. And it's funny to hear from a lot of Boston fans that still reference that game as one of their favorites from, uh, oh from the regular season. I've watched the I'm watching the highlights so now. I'm watching yeah. the highlights now, and you were just – Niskanen stands in there. Got to give him credit. I gave him a lot of credit, and I'm glad he had a visor because I would have felt bad. For, like, I, 
honestly, once he kind of came, I came to afterwards, I'm like, oh. and then I kind, I kind of, I think I said, good job, because he wasn't the one. He had wasn't his fault at all. No, it was the other guys that were stirring it up all game. But by that time, it's like, oh. So yeah, he stood in there. It was, and he had a visor, which yeah, I, I connected with a lot. But um, it, it was, hey, that was that was with the game. That was I, the adrenaline was flowing back then, and it's a different game now. And, and maybe for a good thing, we'll see. I know. I always hated at the end of the third period. You guys are obviously going to win. It was four to one with eight minutes left. I always hated going out because I knew like one of my teammates were going to try to do something stupid. I played with Ott. I played with Patrick Coletta. I played with Cal Clutterbuck. I played with these oh. guys who, when there was like five minutes left and we were losing by three or four, it was like, okay, they get a free pass to go out and do something stupid. And then I have to answer the bell. And I, I despised it. And I don't know why I'm yeah. like, do this in the first period when it means something. I just don't understand. And my Avery was doing it all game. And so was Ott that game. But some of the guys, they just pick their spots and they wait because they know if they get a penalty, they're going to get kicked out of the game. And that is the exact yeah. reason because they're not going to have to answer the bell. And that is true across the board for a lot of these guys. So I, I don't like that because then, yeah, I have to fight somebody and I get, end up could get beat up or this and that. So I don't, I don't know. I, I don't have respect for guys who pick their spots like that, but Avery and Ott did it no. throughout their career. So they did. That was their style, but you know, you didn't want to have guys back up. And you're right. The, the end of the games. And I remember, you know, even the early two thousands, like if, it, if that game was out of reach and we were on the bat end, and I was, I get a lot of ice time at the end of the games, but there wouldn't be anybody out there. It would be all the guys that could handle themselves just to kind of police. And if it did happen, you were fine. Yeah. That's kind yeah. of the way those games played out. Like I you know, I played with Rob Ray the one year in Ottawa. He talked about like him, Brad May and Matthew Barnaby would finish any game that was out of hand and they were gonna they were gonna send a message like the the last, you know, four or five minutes. It's just but they would go against the line similar to them. Yeah, it's just some of that stuff but I know listen, I, I know my role, but anyway, just seeing that, watching that video, I'm like that Avery, like just Finish out the game, man. You know what I mean? Don't start. Like, you're going to injure. He could have. And I'm not a Lucic fan. Could have broke his leg. Could have absolutely snapped his leg in half the way he went into the boards there. I just don't have any respect for guys who do that. I really don't. So, it is what it is. That that was their role, right? That was those guys' roles. Avery and Ott, they were were those guys that they they tried to stir it up. And they made, made a lot of money doing it. They made a ton of money doing it. So, that was your first stint in Boston, right? Then you left hit the jackpot and played with me in Minnesota. And then you went back to the Bruins. Yes. But I went back to the Bruins late. Yeah. Was it a disappointment leaving me knowing you were never going to play with a, a caliber of player? <laughs> like you were going I'll to tell a you what it was. Guy in Boston. I enjoyed playing with you. You had great stories when we could get you going. You know, you had some <laughs> great backstories. I, I, I really enjoy it. when, uh, I got I got some real good laughs out of that, but uh, yeah, you know what? The toughest thing wasn't leaving Minnesota. The toughest thing for me was for the first time in my career going into a training camp without a contract and uh, without being able to get disability because I deemed uh, uninsurable un- at that time with the injuries I'd had, and I went. To, that's when I went to Phoenix the next year, uh, which is now Arizona, the Coyotes, and I was having a great camp. Uh, Staying with Derek Morris at the time at his house, and you know, I knew all those uh, Ray Whitney, and 
some great guys on that team, Jovanowski, Adrian Acoin, having a strong camp. And then one day I uh, got bumped in the boards weird, felt a pop, tried to play it off for a week, finally went in for an MRI, and I tore my rotator cuff. So oh, that's boy. five to six months. And uh, tough to do when the first time you don't have a contract or insurance. Uh, so that was a, that was a big obstacle, but you know, I finally got back. I thank goodness I had a real good doctor instead of rehab, uh, aggressive rehab, and I was able to come back early. And Boston started talking to them, and they wanted me to come on to be a, a veteran voice. I had a, you know some guys in Chara and Recky and Thornton backing that decision, and to be a depth defenseman. And uh, yeah, I joined the team. I believe it was the end of February from getting injured in uh, camp and. Uh, I still wasn't cleared to play games, but I was practicing, and I, I don't think I hit the ice till January sometimes. So, some of the hardest work I've put in, but it certainly paid off. There is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partner, Bet Online. Guess what? NASCAR is back. And Bet Online has hundreds of other games, events, and sports to get in on. I love gambling, Tim. I absolutely love it. So Bet Online is where I go when I want to scratch that itch. So you can still bet on simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC events 24-7. Or you can participate in a $10,000 Madden Bracket Challenge, a March Madness-style NFL simulation tournament. You can enter for free. I'm going to do that. That sounds like fun. And coming up next Sunday, Bet Online has ex Chicago Bulls Ron Harper, Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, and Craig Hodges joining them to discuss the Michael Jordan documentary on what they're calling the final dance. Go to betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus and check out all the action. Bet online. It's your online wagering solution. And how was that? Like, I've been a part of some playoff runs, somewhere I've played, somewhere I haven't. What was the vibe? Like, did the guys know that they were going to win it? Like, was there just something going on there? Like, what was the room like? It's a special group. And how many times do you hear that from championship teams? Like, yeah. You know, this was a special group of guys. And I don't think until you really, you know, are part of it that you, you understand how true that is. Um, you know, and I've played with a lot of great teams and a lot of great groups and great guys, but there was something about this team. There, there was a confidence. There was a swagger. There was the ability of everybody to have their voice, to step up. Uh, there was, you know, accountability, all those words you want to use. The yeah. coaches, it was there without being said. And it, it, there was the confidence to me was great because, and you think about winning the cup, the first series we're, we're down two games to, oh, to the Montreal Canadians in Boston going there for game three. Um, you know, that series goes seven. Then, you know, you know, sweep Philadelphia, seven against Tampa, and then, of course, lose the first two in Vancouver. Uh, then you hear the reports of, you know, the parade being planned and all that stuff, and, and a deep hatred for that team. There really was. But the, the unwavering confidence was, was really something that I can recall 
uh, coming from all all of us. And it would be a different guy that would, you know, finally say, this, you know, believe it ain't happening again. We're, we're, we're not losing again, or we're doing this right, this. And you just, you had voices from different areas of experience that could relate to different guys. And uh, it was a real special run and special time. So what was your involvement? Because you, did you, were you playing in the playoffs at that time? I played, I think I had three games. So I played by the Montreal and uh, the Philly series. Um, but no, it was interesting. And I, I kind of knew for it. And it's funny because, you know, I think back as a young player sitting out and pouting this, I was so happy after being out of hockey that long to be back. I would, I would have filled the bottles if I had to on the bench. Yeah. Um, so but, what know, did you do? Cause I'm, I'm always curious, so, like, did you travel with yeah. them? Were you with the black aces? Oh yeah, did I was there. I did everything. Like, I was brought in to be like kind of, well, I don't know, the 19th, you know, whatever you want to call it, the 19th guy, because I did every warm up all through mm-hmm. playoffs. I'd always have, I had a little speech I'd give every time I left before the game, like the guys would try and fire them up. I had a little something to say. Uh, I was in, in a lot of things. Sean Thornton and I had the idea. We're the ones who, I forget what round it is, where everybody said, oh, you don't want to see rings, this. We brought all the, because. I used to walk by and I saw that Bobby Orr picture with, I think he's got champagne, he's got beer, he's got a cigar, and he looks just exhausted. Like, those are the pictures we need to show. So our trainers, we put them up at home, and then they took them on the road, a couple of these pictures, and the guys that had won Stanley Cup rings, I wanted to be showed them. So that was uh, Sean Thornton and I had that idea one night when we were brainstorming, probably at a bar. And, yeah, we went into the closure, and he's like, great, let's do it. And, you know, just uh, – I was, I was, yeah, I was in the team. I knew these guys. I played with a lot of these guys, like Chara, for six years of my career, five, six years. Uh, Thornton was one of my best friends. Recky was a close friend. You know, all these guys. And uh, I knew Chris Kelly from Ottawa, who's a big part. And it was just a close team. And, yeah, it was a seamless transition. It was almost like being a big – I felt as part of that team as much as I have any other. And it's strange to say with playing as little as I did, but I felt yeah. that was just as impactful. And I yeah, it took cool. till the last year of my career to figure out how important roles are on a team. Whatever your role is adds to the success. And it's something I talk, talk now when I speak businesses. It's like, yeah, you're going to have the guys that do 20, but the guy that plays 10 minutes, or the guy that does this, the guy that brings this attitude. Uh, you know what? That role all adds up for team success. And team success in return always, you know, shows there's individual success at whatever that role is for the outcome and the best outcome of that team. I agree. Yeah. You can't have too many skill guys, too many, that's too many, too many chefs in the kitchen. Sometimes you need some guys who are just you yeah. know, prepping and doing this and that. So that's what I was. I was a prep cook. I just shoveled all yeah. the, the coals in the fire and did what I had to do. So, all right. Did you know, after that season, you had your day with the cup, you got your ring, was there any aspirations to play another season or were you just complete with your career after that? Well, interesting enough, there was a team that returned to my home province in the Winnipeg oh. Jets. Oh, that's And I was really, you know, I was, I don't know if I was aggressively, but we were in talks and, but it was like there, well, we got this and a lot of defensemen coming in. We'd, we'd certainly be about, you know, welcoming in for another trial, which we all, as I just talked about, know how well that went the year before, uh, coming out on a trial uh, situation. And then, actually, the day I had the cup, 
I was, I believe around August 18th. Um, I was actually in the limo with my family driving from Winnipeg to my parents' small hometown and to, to celebrate. And I got a call from at that time, TSN radio just come to, to Winnipeg and they're calling and they asked if I'd be interested in coming in to talk and interview about a job on broadcasting. And like, Hey, I said, well, not right now. I'm a little busy. Give me a few days. And I did. And, uh, you know, I went in and I talked and I'm like, this is, this is something I really wanted to do. It interested me. My body was at that point, probably done. I, done 15 years of pro hockey, five years of major junior in Canada, uh, which at that time was just as probably hard on the body as anything. I would say uh, worse. So, yeah. yeah, it was worse, but I playing in the early nineties and, and the WHL was, uh, I loved it, but anyway, so, uh, yeah, made the decision to, to call it uh, quits. And, uh, funny thing though, was that I was covering the jets and they had so many defensive injuries, shoveled day off early on. So I said, well, I wish you would have, you and I could have came to a better agreement, but anyways, yeah. So I started on radio, uh, basically they handed me the mic, uh, headed out to Penticton and learned on the run as I uh, went to the rookie tournament, did coverage there and, uh, loved doing it. And I think it was my second year. Somebody missed coming to a game because TSN was doing the games and I think it was Mike Johnson, Brian Englom. They had a, a few of them coming in to do uh, between the benches. Something happened. I was kind of, you know, they gave the tap to the bullpen. Uh, so I moved in there and that I did that game. And when I went home, I said, now I know exactly what I want to do. And, no kidding. Uh, so that was called games right on TV. Yeah, well, it's, it's different. Nobody really, like, we play the game. And, and when I thought about it, I didn't know all the production and directors and the truck that, you know, I've got. They put me in there. Like radio, you're just talking. I got a cough button and then I talk. That's about it. Yeah. And, and the radio to me is the best place to learn to call without question uh, because you got to learn to talk and call the game, describe things, read things, things. But then you take all that and you put it in a TV and then you add, I, they give me a button and this wireless headset and I've got a button where I'm talking to the, the producer. I can talk to the director. I've got to listen to my play-by-play guy, but at the same time, I'm, I'm like, oh, mark this. Like I realized I get to pick plays in the game that I want to mark that we can show for replays and kind of dictate the way it goes and, and the flow. And uh, for a guy that's attention can, can wander, it, it really brought me into focus and, and being at ice level and being, it's, you know, to me it was the closest thing, I guess, you know, coaching's like that either than being a player, but to me, this was right there with it. And I absolutely fell in love with it. And it's been, uh, Oh boy, it's been nine years now. Yeah. Was there any, like I've been doing this podcast for a year now and I always get worried about asking guys for interviews, especially current players. Was there any like weirdness going into the locker room and like seeing the guys who you've played with, who you know, like just, you know, you're on the other side now. It just, yeah. it was nothing like that. I think exactly what you said, the strangest and hardest thing for me was to interview. Because you'd always been on the other side of it. I'd never been the guy asking the questions, right? And, and, and talking. Yeah. You know, it, it's something you have to develop. But yeah, it's interesting. I agree with you. That's, that, that might have been the hardest thing. It was great to go in and see them and chat, but to go in and say, okay, what do you, how are things going here or there? You know, ask questions and try not do it in those ones that used to bother you as a player that were, you know, the obvious dumb questions. 
So that's something, the hardest thing, the thing I find, you know, I try to work on anything. Reps is the biggest thing, but just doing things over and over and improving and, and trying to find different ways to do it. But yeah, interviewing is one thing that, uh, you know, was probably the toughest to, to overcome and to learn to ask questions to, to players without, you know, you know, kind of having that awkward feeling. Yeah. So you, you did well in Winnipeg. You, you killed it. I remember I was there a few times and talked to you and you did great. And then you had the opportunity to go to Vegas. How does that come about? They just reach out to you and say, Hey, we want you in our market or. No, that was uh, so I know you went to college. Uh, I mentioned five years of junior. I did graduate high school, but so it's kind of funny. Yeah, I did. And, And I knew people, but. I think they had over 200 applicants for play-by-play in the color. I can't remember. It was a lot of people. Let's just say, and that could be exaggerated. That's, but they're like, okay, I need a reel and I need a a resume. I had never done a resume in my life. First ever resume I did was for (laughs) what did you put on it? (laughs) I actually got some help. Trust me. So you know. I had a resume. I just didn't know how to do it. And, you know, it was embarrassing at the time, but it was a great learning experience and something, you know, guys that come out of hockey, I, I like to know how many of the guys do know how or have done one. You know, I guess I did one probably in a class in school, but that would have been, you know, in 93 doesn't yeah. really help me a whole lot. in that, you know, 2017. Um, so yeah, I put my name in the hat and we went through and it was, uh, it was a stressful uh, process because, you know, thing, the decision wasn't made till early August. And at that point, and I love my time with the Olympic Jets, and TSN was phenomenal with me. Um, but it was, I felt an opportunity to go to the entertainment capital. And I had a, I don't know, was a, you know, now it, everybody thinks, oh, yeah, it's easy to say you had a belief would be successful. But I did. I felt, I don't think to, this, to the level they had it in year one, absolutely not. Nobody saw that without question but I had a feeling it would be cool and I also I was with Nashville in the organization I guess my first trade was there to be part of that organization's first time making the playoffs and it was so cool and then you know coming off of summer where we saw Nashville in the finals and seeing that city I thought well Nashville Vegas very comparable and I thought about the guys that had been there from the ground floor and that'd be pretty cool to be from the birth of this organization you know, for hopefully as long as I want. And that was something that was really attractive to me. And, and to see the game of hockey grow here. Winnipeg didn't need any help. You know, hockey's it, without question. Vegas, it wasn't. And to come down here and help grow the game was uh, another thing that really appealed to me. And uh, I've been blown away by the passion of the fans, not only for the team, but for the sport of hockey. I mean, Shane, there's no way, obviously, you could have known, like, what you were stepping into and what a special cup run that was in their first ever year in existence. I mean, I mean, it was unprecedented, right? I mean, did you did you realize at the time that you were witnessing kind of history in the making? And then, like, how did a team of misfits just fit together so well like that? Yeah. I, well, I, my partner, Dave Gosher, and I were kind of, you know, the start of the year, we're talking, all right, there's going to be there's going to be some rough stretches rough games this year you know we, let's try and keep the you know certain ways we wanted to call and you know the next thing you know they come out of the gate wow we're like okay and, and he kind of kept waiting and almost for the first part we just kept waiting for the bottom of the fall they're going through goalies flurry gets hurt okay they're under their third fourth goalie 
they, they, and they don't, they don't get rattled. They were unfazed. This team of guys that, you know, they did, they all carry a chip on their shoulders and they all, and if I was to talk to those guys, they'll all say that was the closest group of guys they've ever played with. Like, you know, there's a lot of those core guys here, but there was something special about that year. And, you know, I know it came off tragedy of one October that kind of, uh, you know, helped. I don't know if it helped them, but they, they had a little extra in them for to for this city that had just become theirs. And, uh, yeah, it's hard to describe. I just kept waiting for them to lose. And I think we've referred to this uh, many times. I think the coaching staff at that time felt there was a stretch there was a, they did a dad's uh, father's trip, dad's trip, whatever you want to call it in December. It was Nashville, Dallas back-to-back, won both those games. But I remember a stretch right before Christmas. It was the beasts of the East that came in Washington, Pittsburgh, and Tampa, and they won all three of those games. And I'm like, eh, they're for real. This, this, this isn't a fluke. There's, there's whatever you want to call in a bottle right now, but it, it, is, it is working, and it, it is not just luck. It is more than that. So – that was about the time I really recognized this team is for real. And how did you guys get such an intense rivalry with, with San Jose so quickly? I mean, right now it's one of the best rivalries in hockey, but there's no history. There's no precedent for it. How did that form so quickly? <laughs> well, playoffs, right? I think, I think rivalries are born of the playoffs. And, you know, initially it was the Kings. And, you know, they went through them in the, the first round, but then it grew from there with San Jose and then certainly – how uh, last season's playoffs ended certainly fueled it a little bit more, but uh, I think there's just, there's certain teams that you battle against. There's, there's certain individuals that maybe amp it up. There's such a dislike. Let's call it a hatred. There is, there's guys you hate on the other team as a player, maybe not, not as a person, but as players, certainly. And, and that hatred drives rivalries that are born out of playoffs because everything is at such a bigger cost. Every play, every second, every moment, uh, has so much worth to it um, that, yeah, it, it really is. And it's a great rivalry. It's a fantastic one that uh, will continue on. And, and I imagine you'd expect it to, to be that way. But who knows, as you get into other rounds of playoffs, it could become somebody else. All right, so my last question, and then I'll throw it back to John. Uh, so John and I are both on the East Coast. We don't catch a lot of Vegas games. Who's a player on that team that made people in other markets don't realize how good this guy is and uh, who's going to be a, a big up-and-comer or a player that could be a breakout star in the next couple of years? Oh, so younger? Well, I think you guys, being in the East Coast, you know how good Mark Stone is. I still think he's underrated, how smart. He's the smartest player in the game, in my opinion, but that's wow. too easy. Um, Riley Smith is a guy that does everything so well. Can't say, say – I could go through this lineup because they all were at one point, right? But William Carlson scored 43. I don't think I need to talk about him. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I think, to me, the biggest one that's going to break out now is Shea Theodore. I think this is a guy that has potential to be a Norris-caliber defenseman. Uh, he is one of the – he's an elite skater uh, for a defenseman. Uh, he has the ability to – he can skate himself out of traffic. He's, he's better defensively than people give him credit. For. Um, yeah, he could be. He could be like, and I am a huge fan of Roman Yossi, and there's a lot of comparables there. Tim's just like loving it because he talked before we came on about Shea Theodore, Theodore, and his future Norris possibilities. So you guys are just like best buddies. 
Oh, he's a smart guy, Tim. He's just a smart yeah, guy. Yeah, from, from it, Boston. That's just That's right. Well, yeah. Anyways, Nides, we got to go. I don't want to take up any more of your time. It was a pleasure talking to you, man. I hope you get back to work soon. It looks like we're heading in that direction if uh, things keep going. You, you guys well, might have a ton of teams there from what I've been hearing. Well, I so. certainly hope so. Yeah, I yeah. certainly hope so. Well, we're all fans of hockey, I think, right now. And, of course, you know, the medical community and all that's going to lead the way. But I think there's a, a huge opportunity for hockey to grab hold of some airtime here and, and give not only the fans, but people that may be seeing it. Even if it's just TV, people are thriving. You know, everybody's looking for something to watch. I agree. Yep. I would love to see hockey. I'd love to see them get the draft going. That's one thing that's bothering me. They haven't, I know it's not perfect, but nothing's going to be perfect a good time to kind of put uh, hockey at the forefront. Totally agree, my man. Hey, you're doing good. If you ever need a radio or TV partner, give me a buzz. I'll be there in a second. You know I love Vegas. Awesome. So, anyways, be well. Enjoy the kids' uh, graduation, and uh, we'll talk soon, my man. Uh, I just wanted to say, I just where, where are you now? I want to know I'm where you're I'm in Traverse at. City, Michigan. I'm in Traverse. Oh, beautiful. Well, we could have got into the stories of the camps I did there for the Detroit Red Wings back in 97, 98, or 90, yeah. That's when I went, 98, 99, 99, 2000, I did camps there. Yeah, because you were with Grand Rapids, right, in the IHL at that time? I was in the IHL before, and then I signed with Detroit, and I was in Adirondack and Cincinnati the next two years, and I went to camps. And that's back when they had everybody, like Iserman, Shanahan, Kosher, Chelios, all those guys we go up to traverse city those guys were carrying cases of beer on the bus larry murphy jamie mccallan would walk walked into the night before like double fisted <laughs> scotty bowman yeah that's a lot of a lot of a uh, lot of history i had some great times in traverse city it's so nice up here everybody i talk to in hockey has either been here or wants to come here just because it's just a little tiny hockey town it's it's you yeah, should come awesome. up, get up here at nights i should i should get up there well, you got you got what, six. You have six kids. What do you? What are they? How many boys? Girls? Uh, all girls. Five girls, and then we don't know what the one on the way is. So. Oh, well, I got four, three girls and a boy. So you're you're heading that way. I mean, just yeah, we we love our girls. What can we say? Yeah, yeah it's me too. Fun. I do. But awesome. I'm serious. Well, I, I um, it's funny. I I was talking to Vegas last. Was it last year? While doing some TV work. So, just a couple games here and there, like a fill-in guy. If you guys yep. needed to take time off, so maybe I'll see you around the way sometime. I still haven't kind well, of hey, closed that door. Yeah, I might. Yeah, I got my number. If you ever want to come, even down here for the game or whatever, you got to experience the game here. It's not unlike anything else. All right, I will, buddy. My will. All right, well, yeah. stay good. All right, take care. Give the family my best. All right, Nights. We'll see ya. All right, take care. Bye. Hey guys, thanks for listening. Make sure you're following the show on Twitter at dropping underscore gloves for episode highlights, behind the scenes content, sneak peeks, and giveaways. Check out johnscottallstar.com slash shop for merchandise including t-shirts, hats, hoodies, and so much more. And please, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It's so important to helping us grow so we can keep delivering the hockey content and interviews with the players you love. Thanks and see you next time.